Hey, this is Michael Emery. Thanks for tuning into the Slow Baja. This podcast is powered by Tequila Fortaleza, handmade in small batches, and hands down, my favorite tequila. Slow Baja is brought to you by the Baja XL Rally. The Baja XL is the largest and longest amateur off-road rally on the Baja Peninsula. It's 10 epic days, LA to Cabo to LA. Check it out at BajaXL.org. Hey, it's Michael Emery on Slow Baja, and I am delighted to be talking via Zoom with Sherry Bondi today. And Sherry, you are in Bahia Asuncion, correct? That's right. Buenos dias from beautiful Bahia Asuncion. Wow. Well, it's really a delight. Uh, I've followed you quite a while on, uh, on the magic of the internet through Facebook and whatnot, and my good friend Ted Donovan and I have talked about you often. And uh, it's just, again, just a delight to have you on the line. So I'd love to know, know about uh, you and your story a little bit. I know you're from Canada originally, correct? I am. I'm from Canada. And uh, I've been in the Baja 30 years now. And I came here originally to study gray whale behavior in Guerrero Negro. Uh, that's where I first lived for 10 years in Guerrero Negro. And that was before commercial whale watching started. And uh, I was... I was studying and ran a whale watching company in Tofino, British Columbia in Canada before that. And I heard about the gray whale lagoon down here. So I came down to check it out and of course fell in love with it. Now I read that you're originally from Ontario, which doesn't usually have a whale population, correct? <laughs> That's right. I was born in Ontario, but moved to BC when I was 18. And, uh, uh, gotcha. Yeah. And then I okay. lived on Vancouver Island where there are lots of whales and I, started researching killer whales actually with uh, Jim Darling originally and uh, then I started a whale watching company to fund my own research in Tofino and then things progressed from there. Are you willing to jump into how you, I've heard you say whales saved your life? Oh boy that's a really long it's kind of a campfire story it's a really long story and it was when I was in my early 20s and I was on a sailboat offshore and uh, we had survived a, a hurricane but I think it's too last kind of a whole show dedicated to that um, yeah more of a camp more of a campfire story long story. Do you tell that one at all on on site when you're uh, hosting guests in uh, in Bahia and Asuncion? I do, you know, mean? it's a, it's a, it's a very personal story and it's not for everybody. Uh, people that aren't open to understanding or have an, have an open mind for those kind of things. I don't bother because they would say, oh, she's crazy. She's making that up, which if I heard the story, I might tend to think that too. But since it happened to me, I know it's a true story. Um, but, you know, kind of a, a long story is that long story short is that yes, two fin whales saved saved my life by, uh, I was unconscious and it was holding the boat steady and a hurricane swells. And, uh, and then they telepathized with me and uh, told me everything was gonna be okay and that uh, things, are, things are gonna be all right. So that's when I learned that we can communicate with animals and uh, to this day, gray whales, if you have an open mind to it, gray whales can uh, put some interesting thoughts into your brain and help you answer questions as well, which is, that's, I guess that's why my tours, uh, Whale Magic Tours is the name of my company, and it's magic that happens out there if you're open to it and if you have 
a little understanding of what's going to happen. You know, a lot of people just come and tick it off their bucket list. Oh, been there, done that, saw a whale, took a picture. Uh, my trips are in depth. We have uh, small groups of small intimate groups of people and we talk a lot about whales before we even get out on the boat. So I want people to be prepared for what could happen and how to look at whales in a different way rather than just taking a picture. So it's a, I, I offer something a little bit different than, <laughs> than most guides. Yeah, and I, I think that's what really makes it also um, interesting and, and maybe to a high degree more special that, that magic is, is part of your, uh, your world and you're, you've spent 30 years with these, these whales and you have, um, uh, in my estimation, you're sort of the Jane Goodall of, of gray whales. I mean, Jane really developed connections with individual um, chimpanzees that she studied. And I think that you have uh, identified and studied these, these uh, whales long enough that I think you're in the same realm. Thank you. That's an honor to be compared to Jane Goodall. And she is my heroine. She, she has certainly been an inspiration to me to be able to, I mean, connecting is one thing, but bringing it to the world is another. It's, it's tough. You know, when you do things like that, a lot of people don't believe it and they, they consider you crazy and it, it's tough. So Jane has done that with her work um, with the gorillas. And I am certainly continuing to do that with my work with gray whales and making one-on-one -on -one connections is what it's all about for me because I'm there. I've been there 30 years in the same place with the same whales. I know these individuals. I, I do photo ID and I know a lot of them personally and they all, the whales that I know, they have personal stories. And that's what I share with people is each whale that approaches us. I don't know all the whales, but often the whales that approach us and uh, kind of communicate with me have a really interesting story. And that, that um, it just adds another dimension to whale watching. Yeah. And so I've, I've read, your accounts and you you do believe that the whales are very perceptive and when people have things going on in their lives uh, or their their young children um, on board sometimes the whales pick the people on the on the panga that are going to get the uh, the most interaction can you talk a little bit about that absolutely they do um, and you know my my filming shows it after a, a day when I get home I review the film when I have time and I see that the whales circling and choosing sometimes as guides, the boat driver and I, we will, it's kind of a challenge. Who do you think the whale's going to go to? Oh, definitely her or him or something like that. It's kind of fun for us to do that. But I always say there's a whale for every person, you know, the different whales have different personalities and characters and they're attracted to like similar um similar characters and personalities like a shy whale may be attracted to a shy person and a crazy boisterous fun whale will be attracted to those really fun people you know sometimes people want a person on boat that's making a lot of noise they're like could you tell that guy to be quiet and i'm like actually he's probably attracting a fun whale so let's just go with it and uh, we can't judge anybody's personality it's up to the whale to judge and we just go in amongst the whales and and put our motor in neutral and the whales come to us depending on who's in our boat, what the whales are doing. For example, when the whales are in swimming school on their whale workout, they're not allowed to come to the boat. They're busy, they're on a schedule. Uh, they have to build up muscle tissue in order to swim that long 
migration back up north. So certain times of day, and you just never know. Each day is different. Each trip, each hour is different, which makes it really exciting. You just never know what's going to happen. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and you've been at this a long enough period that, well, you were doing it before this interaction even occurred. So what's your take on that? I mean, when you started this, you were able to see the whales, but there was none of the interaction. Yes, I've been fortunate to have been in the lagoon from the very beginning before whale watching became a thing. And so I was able to do baseline data and, and be with whales. When we first went to the lagoon, whales were terrified of boats because Charles Scammons, you know, was a whale hunter and they killed lots of whales in that lagoon. That lagoon ran red with whale blood. So when we first started out, it was very difficult to approach a whale. Luckily, I'd had experience in British Columbia on how to approach a whale successfully, carefully, patiently, and I was able to teach the boat drivers in the lagoon how to do that, uh, not just race up to a whale. So, you know, over the first five years was really difficult. We gained their trust day by day, getting a teeny bit closer, teeny bit closer, putting out that message and vibes that we're here to watch you and appreciate you. We're not here to hurt you. And then the whales started being curious about us, like, wow, they don't seem to be killers. They seem to be nice. And they started coming around the boats and underneath the boats. But, you know, for the first 10, almost 15 years, nobody had touched a whale. It, we never, it, the thought never occurred to us to touch a whale. The whales would be there doing their thing and appreciating us and being with us and right at the boat. But it never occurred to us to put our hand in the water to touch them. And those were beautiful times because we just appreciated looking eye to eye with the whale and gazing at them. It wasn't all this frantic frenzy of leaning over and touching them. Whale watching is, is way different now than it was in, in, I can say, the good old days. You know, it's nice to touch a whale for sure, but a lot of people come to expect to touch a whale. And if they don't touch a whale, they're disappointed. They don't think it was valuable their experience and that that's kind of sad for me hmm. is that uh, whale watching in the in the in instagram times is that what's what's happened people need to uh to do what they've seen others do on social media say yeah, they've done it too exactly like they want instant gratification how long you know people come into the office and say how much to pet a whale it's like wow that's not the attitude to take we're in there nursery, we're in their natural environment, where they're raising their babies, we're just there to appreciate them. If a whale wants contact and chooses to grace us with its presence, they will. But, you know, it often repels whales. Those people that, I gotta touch a whale, I gotta touch a whale, I gotta touch a whale, that energy repels whales. And I have to let them know, you know what, you better just chill out and uh, not have high expectations, because it might not happen for you. And it's the people that just sit back and are loving and appreciative they have really good contact with whales, not the ones that expect and have to touch a whale. I mean, now it's not even good enough to touch a whale. You have to kiss a whale. Like, what's next, really? And have a photographer standing by to make the picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, you know, it's really, I appreciate, I think it's really important to have a guide on board to kind of guide the people in their experience so that they have a more positive uh, meaningful experience, not just, I got to touch a whale, I have to touch a whale, you know, so that they appreciate the animal and the history of them and their biology and what they do and how they're raising their young. And, and what I can do is I provide a commentary of what they're doing. Oh, 
she went away. Sometimes if a whale's with you and it goes away, people are like, oh my God, it didn't like us, they're going away. Well, no, they just have to go feed their baby because their breasts are full of milk and they have to dump their milk. So they go away for five or 10 minutes to feed and then they come back again. So, so people know what's going on, like play by play description of their, of their daily activities. And they have daily activities like swimming school, they teach, you know, they teach their calves on a daily basis what they're going to need to survive in the wild. They use our boats as teaching tools. Um, they, they push the babies into the motor to cut them so that they know that propellers and boats can be dangerous. And uh, it's, it's really interesting to watch how they raise their young. Yeah, and your theory is that uh, having the babies interacting with the people on your boats gives mom some time to rest, which is much needed. <laughs> That's a pretty new phenomena. Uh, I mean, there is no other animal in the wild that brings their babies to humans so that the humans engage and play with the baby while the mom has a nap. That's just unheard of. And that's, that's recent in the last, I guess, three or four years, the moms have been comfortable enough with us to get some much needed rest, which just, just always fascinates me. Amazing. Hey, let's uh, pivot here and tell me a little bit about where um, Scammon's Lagoon is, uh, Laguna Ojo de Libre is the, the correct current name. Am I right on that? Yeah, that's the, that is not just the current name, but that's the original name. A lot of places in, in well, all over the world are Scammon's named Scammon's Lagoon for... is, is uh, the slang name. That's, a, that's an American phenomenon. Somebody put it on a map once, and right. I remember when I first went to the lagoon, and I was telling the guys, do you know what they call it? And I, I told them that people call it Scammon's Lagoon, and they were just mortified. They, they couldn't believe it. Like, why would anyone call, call a beautiful place like Ojo de Liebre after, you know, whale hunting and killing? It was really yeah, awful. Sad. So, um, yeah, no, it's Ojo de Liebre, and it means I, the jackrabbit, and it's named after a freshwater spring. A lot of places were named after water sources, which are really important in Baja, are sources of water. And it's, um, it's near Guerrero Negro, Guerrero Negro, the village of Guerrero, the town of Guerrero Negro was, uh, is on the lagoon, uh, and it originally was set up there because of the world's largest salt mine, salt works, that, that is all throughout the lagoon. That's, that's where it is. Um, there are three, three viewing areas of the lagoon. There's the inner lagoon where the ejido has a campground and a restaurant and an interpretive center. That's right at the end of the lagoon. And then the mouth of the lagoon is obviously right at the mouth, a little bit rougher weather. And that's where most of the boats from town go. Um, you know, you pay, it's about 50 or between 50 and $60 and you go out for an hour and a half and um, that's it. And you go out and you come back and there aren't any guides on board. Um, and then the middle lagoon, which is where I've set up my new whale camp, is phenomenal because it's the most narrow part of the lagoon. So whales congregate there. More whales congregate in a, in a narrow place in the lagoon. And uh, there's a couple of canals and we can see whales right off our whale camp. So there's three different viewing areas. Ojo de Liebre is the principal calving lagoon. It's the biggest lagoon in the world. It's where most of the calves are born. Uh, the other lagoons, San Ignacio and Mag Bay, they call overflow parking because um, we kind of fill up first in Ojo de Liebre. And there can be up to 2,000. We've had over 2,000 whales in there in a season. So there's a lot, we call it whale soup. You just can barely move because there's so many whales, whales going by. Even the whales are kind of like, oh, after you, after you. There's so many whales there. 
So it's a beautiful place. And the nice thing about three different viewing areas that splits up the boats. So there's only a, a very small number of boats in each area and they're separate. There are also areas of the lagoon that is off limits to boats. So if whales don't wanna go near boats or if they're tired of boats or if they've had bad experience with boats, they can go to an area where there are no boats. So that really means that it's up to the whale if it wants to approach you. Wow, that's, that's an amazing, you've painted an amazing picture there. So I'm looking at the map right now on my computer of, of the bay and it looks like uh, that narrows that you're talking about. So are all your tours le leaving from Guerrero Negro or do you come in from, what would that be, the south there, uh, from Bahia Asuncion? No, uh, I moved to Guerrero Negro into the lagoon in January and I'm there from January till the end of March because so I do one or season. two trips a day so I can't come back right. and forth. Yeah, that's right. Gotcha. Yeah. And okay. all of our tours, all the tours leave from Guerrero Negro. Um, some, you know, um, for example, where we are, it's a restricted area. The public isn't allowed in there. So we take you out in our van to the area and we take you after, like usually at breakfast, I do a whale talk for an hour, hour and a half and let people know what we're going to see and what to expect and how to behave and all that. Jump in the van. I kind of do a guided tour on the way out to the, uh, it's a beautiful trip. The drive is beautiful. You see coyotes and burrowing owls and there's dead whales on the beach. There's all kinds of things to look at on the way. And then we jump in the panga and um, I do extended tours. I just think an hour and a half is not enough. You're barely getting warmed up. So I do two to two and a half hour trips. And then we come back to our whale camp and we kind of decompress and talk about what we've seen. And, you know, kind of, that's really nice because you're, you're pretty shocked, you know, especially if it's your first time, people are pretty blown away and they haven't quite processed what went on. So we kind of talk about it. We have a seafood lunch at our camp and then we come back to town. Gotcha. And if people are staying with you in your properties, what's the, what's the drive time to uh, Guerrero Negro? Is it possible or is it, do you need to stay in Guerrero Negro? Um, yeah, you know, we're two, Bahia Asuncion is two hours. Often what people do, if they're driving down in their own vehicle, they stop and get out of Negro for the night come whale watching with me the next day, and then some continue on to Asuncion because it is so beautiful here. And there's also uh, neat things to do, sports fishing, and there's a great island tour where you see whales and sea lions and dolphins and turtles, and it's pretty cool. So people often, because they're in the area, they wanna spend more time here so they can do that. Um, the other thing, you know, it, it depends. I always tell people it's a good idea to give yourself a couple days, two or three days, because if the weather's bad and if you decide you want to go out again, you know, like give yourself a couple days. So I have packages with, you can do an overnighter if that's what you need to do or two nights, three nights. And then our whale camp is a whole other ball game. You come in and spend the night and get out and then we take you up to camp and spend two or three nights out in camp. And for folks who aren't all that familiar with, with Baja Guerrero Negro is about halfway down and uh, there's not, uh, it's a charter. If you're flying in, you're, you're chartering from someplace. Um, would you say most of the folks that you're, uh, that are enjoying whales with you are driving down? Yes, most people drive down. They stay, usually stay in San Quentin or El Rosario the first night. You can make it all the way to Guerrero if you, if you do that. Also, some people come on the bus, which makes it easy because you don't need a vehicle once you're here. Uh, some people fly in, there are flights from Aero Calafia and Aero Servicios Guerrero Negro. There are three flights a week, three to Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I believe. 
sometimes they put an extra flight on on Saturday for whale season. Um, but you have to fly from Hermosillo or Guaymas. Like there aren't any flights from TJ. It, it's tough to get there. You have yeah, to well, want to get there. It's not that's easy. Good. And uh, yep. I think that must also be why um, there's less development, at least where you are in, in Bahia Asuncion. It's, it's still rugged Baja. It's still low key. It's still, yes. as, I, as I say, slow Baja, which is my true, fas true fascination. It is. It's like stepping back in time 50 years when you come into Bahia Asuncion. It's so amazing. And it's in that, I like that time period when everybody knows everybody. Everybody's super friendly and helpful. Uh, we don't lock our doors. There's no bars on the windows. It's just really like old Baja and the hospitality of old Baja as well. It's beautiful. And the reason is because we're not close to an airport. Anything close to an airport has been just overdeveloped or developed, and we have not, which is the people that live here love it for that, that it's just not overrun with, with uh, people from other countries. It's still real Mexican feel to it. And again, for those who aren't totally familiar, you're, you're on a beautiful point. You're surrounded by water, uh, what, on three sides, a little bit like San Francisco here. <laughs> That's um, right. But much smaller, obviously. And there's surfing, um, beaches, water sport, snorkeling, diving, and obviously whale watching. Yeah. Outstanding fishing. It's a real fishy place. We have kayaks here to loan people and people bring their own kayaks. Yeah. Boogie boarding. Fishing is very popular. Um, we do charters out of here as well. And uh, right now we're catching tuna, yellowtail, uh, Dorado, whitefish, okay. halibut from the beaches. Ashore fishing is exceptional because there's so many beaches. Um, yeah, it's a fishy place as well and beautiful for what, any water sports and hiking. And we have a single track mountain bike trail that is second to none. It's really nice. Uh, and can you tell me a little bit about Juan? He's a fisherman, yeah? He is a fisherman, that's right. Mm -hmm. He's born and raised in San Roque here, uh, which is, it was the town that was here before Asuncion, actually, so he's generations of family here. That's, that's right, and he's bilingual, and um, good guy. Happy to take anybody out and show them where to fish, how to fish, what to do, what have you. Absolutely, and we also do island tours as well, to, and snorkeling with sea lions and seeing the island. The, we have two islands, Isla Asuncion and San Roque Island, and they're both, it's just a beautiful nature trip. And again, uh, for rookies, do you have fishing equipment there for use or for rent? We or, do. Okay, so yes, people do. don't have to bring down their own gear. You know, it's always better if they bring their own gear, but um, if they don't, we do have gear here for them. And of course, Juan and his deckhand help you catch a fish. If you haven't fished before, they kind of help you do that, get it on, hand you the rod. <laughs> and I would imagine like most of Baja, once you've caught something, uh, you can have somebody uh, local at a local restaurant cook it for you three ways and make a meal out of it. Absolutely. When they get people get back from fishing, I whip up a sashimi platter and some seared fish of whatever they've caught. So we have a little snack there. And then we take our fish to uh, one of the restaurants here and he does a beautiful job. Luncheria Mari, uh, Tomas and Anaberta do a fantastic job of cooking up your fish. And Sherry, if somebody was going to come and spend a week with you, talk about the range of activities in your area. Yeah, a week's a good idea because not only will you see 
what's around. And, you know, within 15 minutes, there's five different beaches you can go to. And other, we're, because we're in central Baja, there are a lot of places you can see, like you could do a day going to San Ignacio and see the mission. You can do a day. We have a really fun trip going to a ranch. Uh, you can either spend the night at the ranch or just make it a day trip and you go to the missions. So we see the missions, the cave paintings, the ranches, maybe do some horseback riding. Um, there's so much to see in this central area. You could go to Turtle Bay. A lot of people use this as their base and do day trips to places as well. Yeah, uh, so that that vaquero culture, the ran, ranchero culture, that's it's right there with with you as well. And you've got cave paintings that uh, you can bring people to as well. Yes, all the ranches that we visit also have cave paintings. Um, for example, and you know what's really funny is the boat drivers, our lancheros, are many of them are from ranches. So in the off season we go visit them at their ranch and they're the guides that take you to the, to the missions like Santa Gertrudis mission is just beautiful. And the cave paintings, there's bighorn sheep that can be seen right from their ranch and they cook you up local, all the things that they raise on the ranch, their beef, their lamb, their goats, the food that they serve are, is, and also the vegetables that they grow, organic vegetables are served right there as well. There's three ranches that we take people to and it's really a spectacular day. Here at Slow Baja, we can't wait to drive our old Land Cruiser south of the border. When we go, we'll be going with Baja Bound Insurance. The website's fast and easy to use. Check them out at BajaBound.com. That's BajaBound.com, serving Mexico travelers since 1994. Hey, Baja tourism is picking up, and our friends at the Animal Pad and Tap Act want to remind you when you're crossing the border, just say no to puppy peddlers. I know they're cute, but the sooner we can end the demand, we can end the supply. For more information, check out theanimalpad.org and Tap Act on Instagram and Facebook. What would you make of your 30 years? I mean, making the leap to come, to come down from Canada and, and start this business, teach, um, teach locals how to approach whales as a gringa from Canada, that must have been an experience. And then just your drive to share the business that you've built with the people that are, that are near to you, that you're not trying to hog every, every person and every dollar that comes from away, you're, you're trying to push it out into your local area. Break that down for me. I guess, I don't know, I guess it comes from indigenous roots of share and share alike and make sure that it takes a village and make sure the village is healthy. If the village is healthy, if you're healthy and can help the village, everyone's going to be healthy. Um, yeah, there's a lot of businesses that they just want it all. You know, people say, oh, you should put a restaurant here. Well, what I like is people come to visit me. I take them around to the restaurants. We try and go to several different restaurants when they're here. So everybody gets a little bit. We go to several stores. You know, I suggest they can, you know, if, if spread the money around. If, if everyone is doing well, everybody's happy. And there, there's not this, 
competition for just everything and come with me, me, me. I mean, I really do like to spread it around. And for example, going to the ranches, I mean, those guys suffer. They're not on the highway as we are not either. So if I can help them, and they're my friends, you know, they treat me really well. And they, have, they treat me like royalty, and I like to treat them with that same respect. And if I can help them by bringing a few more dollars, but you know, it's not just that. It's the tourists and the visitors that come here. If I can enrich their life with something that I've learned here, I'm happy to do that. And I just want ev to see everybody doing well and happy. Wow. Well, I think we should, uh, we should cut right to where people can find you. And if you could recap, I don't think you've actually told us about your um, number of offerings, but if you could tell us a little bit about what what people can find and where they can find it if they're going to come to Bahia Asuncion and find you and go whale watching with you in whale season next year, um, how soon they need to book that. Okay, first of all, for Bahia Asuncion, um, they can come here any time of year. I don't recommend um, April, May, and into June because that's our windy months in the spring. And it's really great on the Sea of Cortez side, on the other side, on the Gulf side, it's great during those months. Um, you can find all the information you need on my website and it's really easy, www.bahiaasuncion.com, B-A-H-I-A-A-S-U-N-C-I-O-N.com. And that has everything on there for Bahia Asuncion and uh, surrounding areas. Um, and then when I change to my whale hat in January, February, March, you can see what I do there at www.whalemagictours, with an S, tours with an S, whalemagictours.com. And, um, you know, you can, it's got my contact phone numbers. You can call me or I can call you back. You can email me. Uh, you can message me. I'm on social media. Also on Facebook, La Bufadora Inn is where I live. And it's the little hotel, the little boutique inn. It sits out on a rock over, looking over the blowhole. Bufadora means blowhole. That's why it's called that. Um, so La Bufadora in on Facebook or just Sherry Bondi on Facebook as well. And, and Whale Magic Tours also is on Facebook. Right. And how many rooms? What, let, tell, tell us about your empire there. It's a boutique. It's a boutique. <laughs> it's a boutique in uh, six rooms. So we can accommodate about 15 people, depending on if there's kids involved and who shares beds and all that. And we get a lot of, you know, motorcycle groups and family groups come in. And we've got a beach right here at our place, right below our, the inn and the blowhole in front, tide pools, and you can fish off the rocks. You can, a couple days ago, a guy got here and within an hour, he jumped into his in his wetsuit and he speared a grouper right off, right in front of our inn here and cooked up for dinner. Wow, sounds like a great time. Um... So Sherry, I really appreciate you finding some time for the slow Baja and I'm glad our internet connection only dropped once. So I'm going mm -hmm. to uh, say thank you uh, and we hope to see you soon in person. Oh, you know, I'm gonna back up here. How soon, if you've got a shortened whale season, we haven't talked about this part, Sherry, what, what weeks, uh, what weeks do you like? What weeks, you know, is this happening, that happening? If you can give me five more minutes on whale season and how soon somebody should book with you, uh, how far ahead somebody should book with you, that'd be great. Right. Uh, 
it's interesting. People say, when's the best time of year to see whales? Well, it depends what you want to see. For example, I love January because the babies are being born. There's mothers, there's pregnant moms, and they sometimes have a midwife. There's a lot of mating goes on in January. The babies are born. It's great. But because the babies are just born, there's not a lot of friendly whale activity. Uh, sometimes the pregnant moms and their and their um, midwives do come to the boat often, but it's not every trip. Um, so February, the babies are born. The mothers are starting to push them up to the boat. They're starting to make contact. March, uh, the babies are big and, you know, they're like already very big and playful and boisterous and they mug the boat. So there's a lot of, a lot of activity in March. Uh, but then the wind starts to come up in March too. So I would say Anytime before March 15th, after March 15th, a lot of our whales that we see on a daily basis are leaving. So really the window's pretty small from the beginning of February to March, mid-March is the best opportunity um, for whale watching. Um, we book up, because what I do is special and different, we're often full by Christmas. A lot of our tours are full. So if you have a specific date, it's a good idea to book it. You know, I can be flexible to a point and if you need to change it or get on another boat or something. And because I do longer tours, I only do them in the morning. We can put another boat on the afternoon if you want to go out again, if the weather's good. But it's a really good idea to book long in advance if you want to get the date that you want, especially in whale camp because it's such a short season. So yeah, book early. And also due to COVID, if by chance anything gets canceled due to COVID, there, we offer a full refund for that. Sherry, uh, you've been in Baja for 30 years. Uh, you have a daughter there that's in business with you now, is that right? That's right, my pride and joy. Her name is Sirena, which means mermaid in Spanish. And she's the reason I'm in Baja. She's the reason I stayed. I wasn't supposed to be able to have kids and I got pregnant in the lagoon with her where the mm. whales get, get, come to get pregnant. So she's a miracle baby and she was born and raised in the lagoon and she is a phenomenal guide in her own right. And she has two boys. I have two grandkids. And interestingly enough, Serena's back in, she moved to Ensenada to study marine sciences and raise a family and she's back now with me guiding and she has a phenomenal insight on whales having been from you know she her essence is from that lagoon so she I'm, I'm really happy to have her by my side she's she's in charge of whale camp she's guiding all the whale camp boats and she's with me here in Bahia Asuncion as well and I'm just really happy to have her back by my side she's amazing well, that's lovely uh how do you say that in Spanish uh, the manzana didn't fall far from the tree yeah, the <laughs> yeah. She she's she has a whole uh, inter interesting outlook and insights on whales. A little bit different, but the same. She has a lot of experience, and she's a great guide and just a great girl. You've mentioned whale camp a few times. Can you just tell us a little bit about your whale camp? Yeah, last year was our first year. It's something I've always wanted to do, but really the pieces just never fell together. And last year, everything, the stars aligned and we were able to open my first uh, private whale camp where we have spring bar canvas tents, which are phenomenal. It can be blowing a gale and you don't even feel the wind. And we're on a tiny little strip of sand 
in the middle of the lagoon, uh, water on both sides of the tents, and uh, you can see whales from lying in your tent. And uh, we have a, a big mess tent where we have great cooks preparing local seafood. And, and if you don't eat seafood, we have other uh, Mexican meals and chicken and beef as well. So the food is great, healthy food. Uh, the whale watching is phenomenal. We go out first thing in the morning and you can go out again in the afternoon if you choose. There's a place to swim there, a little canal right beside our camp where we swim and listen to the coyotes at night. Um, we can hike and bird watch and fossil hunt. There's lots of things to do in camp and it's, it's, there, it's a private camp. So there's no vehicles there, just our tents. We bring you in vans. So there's no noise and we have two boats at, at camp to take you whale watching. And it's just, that is a magical, magical spot. It's at Punta Mariscal, it's called. And Sherry, would you recommend that people spend more than one day on the water with you? I would imagine there's a complete bit of overwhelm of like, hey, there, there's a whale, there's a whale, and here's a whale coming close, here's a baby. And if you take it yeah. in for the second day, I would imagine you're just relaxed oh, yeah. and like, whoa, you're a veteran. Absolutely. The first day, your fuses are being blown by whales, and you just can't quite capture what's going on. You're just so in awe that you're not paying attention to the little details about how they're pushing their baby or nursing their baby. You're just like, oh my God, there's a whale right beside us, and that's it. The second day, you're, you've, you've processed it. You can actually look and appreciate all the things that they're doing. Yeah, the first day is a blowout pretty much. And at least two days is really important. Some people come for a week or two and go every day. Because each day you go out, you see more and you learn more and you can appreciate more. Uh, yeah, give yourself some time. You know, if it's a bucket list thing, try to give yourself at least two days on the water. Uh, I can't believe we've gotten this far into our conversation and you haven't mentioned Pink Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the Pink Floyd, is, it's, a, it's a force of nature. You know, a whale's penis is 12 feet long, three feet at the base, and it's hot pink. And uh, the first time we saw it, it was funny because one of the Mexican boat drivers said, Pink Floyd. And that's exactly what it, so that's kind of our code word for a whale penis. And it, it's, it's quite something. You definitely, you can't mistake what it is. You know, from a long way away, you see this big pink thing waving around in the air pretty impressive. <laughs> and so the breeding activity, does that happen the entire time the whales are there or is it just no, right in the beginning? They're mostly mating in January, late January and February. By the end of February, the mating's done. Pretty much the third week of February, they're done mating. Although things have been switching up because of the, the problem in the Bering and Chukchi Seas with the ice pack melting, gray whales have had to go further afar to look for food and so everything has been later usually they're there my first trip's usually the first you know january 2nd and uh there were no whales there last year till the mid till mid january so everything's kind of two or three weeks late later than it usually is um hopefully it'll get back to normal but they're, they're looking for food they have to go further to look for food so the migration um was stalled a little bit um, and it seems to be they have this past season, they've actually made it a little bit later. So maybe they're going to have to change their mating habits to reflect their feeding habits. So we'll see what happens with that. And can you tell us about, is it just the mothers and calves after that? Do they, do the males go off and, and migrate back or do they stay? And as I assume, as I understand, there's nothing to protect 
the, the females and the calves from, but do the males stick around? No, they don't. It's kind of a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. After they mate, they're pretty much gone. They've had their fun. Um, and they can mate multiple times too. So uh, there are males. And then, yeah, usually by March, the first couple of weeks of March, most of the males have already gone because they're hungry. They want to get back and eat. So they've, they've done what they've needed to do and procreate and they need to get back. So it's pretty much, there are some juvenile uh, males still in the lagoon at that time, hoping to learn the ropes and get lucky, but most of the males have gone by March. And do, is there juvenile behavior from juveniles? Do, do, do they, is there stuff that adult whales don't do that you say, oh, that juvenile, he's a real piece of work. Watch, watch out, he's gonna bang into that boat or, or, or what? Is there anything crazy? Um, yeah, you know, pretty, they learn pretty much everything in the first three or four months of their life. Uh, they don't like bang into boats by mistake. I mean, they do it for fun. They might ram them for fun, but they don't make a lot of mistakes. Like they're good learners and the mothers are very good teachers about what they can and cannot do. Uh, something that the males, little males, the juvenile males, like we call them teenage horn dogs, like they will try to mate with, <laughs> with they'll try to, they like, you're having a nice, you know, really nice loving encounter with the mom and baby. And this juvenile male horn dog will come over and try and mate with that poor female who has a calf, like really, who wants to mate after having a one ton baby. But, you know, so they kind of try and get lucky, you know, whereas the big males, they know that's not going to happen. So they're, uh, they're kind of funny in that way. They'll, they'll try for sure. And, you know, my theory is when in mating in threes is that one of those males is a juvenile learning the ropes. And um, that's why there's absolutely no aggression between males, which is, is a very uncommon in, in animal species because there's usually aggression to mate. And there just is no aggression at all between, between the males in that threesome. So uh, my, my take on it is that it's a juvenile just watching and learning and being right there in, in the fray. Wow. Well, uh, I think we're going to leave it right there. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Sherry, again, it's been a real pleasure. I hope to see you in person in Bahia Suncion soon. And thanks for making some time for the Slow Baja. Great, Michael. It's really nice talking to you. I look forward to meeting you. And hey, I might tell you the story about saving whales saving my life when you get here. <laughs> All right. Around the campfire. Sure. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, you guys know what to do. Please help us by subscribing, sharing, rating, all that stuff. And if you missed anything, you can find the links in the show notes at slowbaja.com. I'll be back before you know it. And if you want to receive notices on new episodes, please follow Slow Baja on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for you old folks.